we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is sunny side of sports. Right here on the Voice of America. Voice of America. Sporty greetings, Voice of America listeners. This is VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. Welcome to the January 3rd edition of the sunny side of sports. Coming up on Wednesday's show, pro basketball. Oklahoma City beats NBA leading Boston. African football. The countdown continues to the Africa Cup of Nations and Ivory Coast. We're now 10 days away to the opening match. But by opening service, tennis. Spanish star Rafael Nadal has made a successful return to the court after being sidelined nearly a year with a hip injury. Craig Gabriel reports from Perth, Australia. If anyone who saw the last injury Rafa Nadal incurred, you could not help but feel sorry for the legend. It was like, oh no, not again. And it was at last year's Australian Open when an awkward move damaged his hip area. The pain was visible, but still no one expected Rafa to not be playing again for 50 weeks. The injury eventually required surgery and the road back was long, but to see him once again with those heavy ground strokes and all the tics and mannerisms he has was a true pleasure. Rafa played a friend in singles. He faced Dominique Thiem, another who's been through the mill with injuries, but his comeback is further along. But there was was Rafa grinding out the returns and he won his first singles match back 7-5-6-1. I am happy. Uh, I don't have I don't know how I wake up tomorrow but uh, I can say now <laughs> I feel good. You know, I, I, I felt uh, more or less free on court that I can uh, do the things that I need to do and I don't finish the match with a bad feeling at all in terms of physical performance. You know, uh, if I am able to stay healthy, uh, I am able to practice uh, at the level that I need to practice. If I am able to play matches, feeling myself ready to play the match, then the the chances to to be competitive in in a not very long period of time are much higher. You know? So, uh, if uh, after tomorrow you go on court and uh, you have problems, then. Uh, the, the process is much tougher now. So for me, the main thing is to stay, stay healthy. In Auckland, another who's had injury woes the last couple of years is Emma Raducanu. Two wrist surgeries and one on an ankle kept the U.S. Open winner away for ages. And she, too, has won her first match back, 7-5 in the third. Also in Auckland, the Mothers Club saw Elena Svitolina getting past Caroline Wozniacki in straight sets. In Perth at the United Cup, Serbia has advanced to the quarters and will play the local favourites, Australia, who advanced the day before. Novak Djokovic hurt his wrist in practice and needed treatment before, during and after his match, which he won over Yuri Lehechka, 6-1, 6-7, 6-1. It happened on the warm-up uh, today before the match, and you know I basically got the constant treatment before the match, during the match, after the match, you know, trying to uh, address the, the issue that I'm facing today in the best possible way. So at, at, at such a high level of professional tennis and of professional sport in general, these things happen. I, I think it's not a major concern because I still managed to finish the match and managed to play well. Serbia beat the Czechs 2-1, closing it out with the mixed doubles as Hamad Medjedovic and Olga Danilovic, who lost singles, won in three. Also in Perth, Poland will be taking on China. Craig Gabriel, VOA Sports, Perth. 
Thanks, Craig. A tennis update from Australia. Novak Djokovic lost to Australia's Alex Diminor in straight sets Wednesday, 6-4 and 6-4. The Serbian star saw his 43-match win streak in Australia broken. Now, Djokovic was again hampered by that wrist injury, but he feels he will be okay for the Australian Open, which begins January 14th. I think I'll be okay, to be honest. Uh, but, you know, it did have an, quite an impact, you know, um, particularly in the forehand and serve. But, again, I don't want to be spending too much time talking about it uh, and taking away credit uh, of the victory from... Uh, uh, Deminor, I mean, he was just very solid, and as he always is. Um, congrats to him, to Australian team, and you know, it is what it is for us. I guess we we move on, and for me, um, with my thoughts in Melbourne. African football fans are looking forward to the kickoff of the 34th Africa Cup of Nations tournament, which begins January 13th in Abidjan, Ivory Coast. 2012 Nations Cup champion Zambia is grouped with Morocco, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and Tanzania. For some insights into Zambia's chances, Iron Mike Mbonye spoke with Zambian football analyst Mike Mubonga. Group F is one of the toughest groups at the Africa Cup of Nations. It features uh, three former champions in Zambia, Morocco, and uh, DR Congo. And uh, Tanzania will also want to to prove a point. More so that uh, the three teams are almost in the same region, East and Southern Africa. I'm talking of Zambia, DR Congo, and uh, Tanzania. So it's not going to be an easy game uh, for any of the teams that will play in this group. It's, 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 in my opinion, one of the group of deaths at this tournament. Um, Morocco, North Africans are very, very tough when it comes to playing Southern African opposition. They will also have to play DR Congo as well as Tanzania. Zambia as well haven't found it easy in recent years playing against North Africans. And uh, their first game against DR Congo will obviously have a huge telling and uh, speak so much of their ambitions to, to go further. So you should never expect any game to be easy in this group. And... Uh, that's why it's the Africa Cup of Nations, and uh, we expect teams to prepare adequately and also to call their best players. And uh, football fans will, will definitely love this football extravaganza that will happen uh, from 13 January. What are the expectations of Zambian football fans of the Chipolopolo in the 2024 AFCON finals? Expectations from Zambian football fans are high. Uh, Zambia has not made an Africa Cup of Nations appearance uh, in, 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 in eight years. The last time they made the, the AFCON appearance is 2015. So having missed 2017, 2019 and 2021, fans are very expectant to see what kind of Zambia will show up uh, in Ivory Coast come 13 January when the tournament starts. Also, having been 2012 champions, they believe that... Uh, 12 years after that famous win uh, in Gabon, uh, the fans expect that Zambia may repeat that. But it will not be easy for a team that's uh, relatively made of new players. Uh, only 
one uh, a feature that the AFCON in 2012, and that's uh, Sunzu, the defender, who scored the winning penalty uh, in, in against Ivory Coast in 2012. The rest of them are new. The rest of them will be finding their feet at the highest stage. They've never played at a stage like that. Of course, some of the players have played at the under-17, under-20 AFCON, won it and went to the under-20 World Cup. But the Africa Cup of Nations proper is a, is a different ballgame altogether. And uh, we expect uh, them to step up. So the fans are very expectant and looking forward to a decent showing uh, from the Chipolopolo. It may be too much to ask, but uh, I believe uh, the players are, are equal to the task. Uh, the players summoned by Israeli coach Avram Grant may be equal to the task. We're talking of the likes of Patson Daka, who's found his feet again at Leicester City in the Championship in England. We're also talking of Fashion Sakala, who plays his trade in Saudi Arabia. There's also the likes of uh, Emmanuel Banda in Croatia, Kings Kangwa in Serbia, and uh, a whole mix of uh, players that play in Europe, Africa, as well as uh, Asia. So it will be too much uh, to expect from a crop like that one, but uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, excitement in that uh, after eight years, the Chipolopolo are back uh, at the Africa Cup of Nations, deservedly so, having topped the group. So having topped the qualifiers group that also had host Ivory Coast does not make their journey any easier in term of, terms of expectations. means that the fans are looking forward to a Chipolopolo turning up and uh, playing their best games. And uh, the possibilities are very high. The chances for Zambia playing a very good and compact game are very high. So the Zambia team is capable of meeting the fans' expectations. And when you look around, when you move around in the streets of Lusaka, or indeed anywhere in Zambia, fans will tell you that they expect not less than uh, a knockout uh, stage finish for Zambia. So expectations are high, and I believe that the Chipolopolo will be able to meet the fans' expectations in the manner that uh, we have seen them preparing and in the manner that uh, the coach has assembled the squad. The last AFCON hosted by Cameroon witnessed lots of upsets as so-called minnows or lowly-rated teams defeated big teams. Do you think there will be a repeat at the Côte d'Ivoire AFCON tournament? I think that we'll see minnows, so-called minnows, also uh, making their statement of intent at the tournament. We saw it uh, in Cameroon when the likes of Comoro Islands, uh, Cap Verde and, and, and other teams showing the big teams, you know, how football should be played. I remember the Ghana game against Comoro and indeed uh, any other fixture that was uh, involving a mino, it also went to the other side. So I expect this AFCON to 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 lead lead the front in terms of uh, minos playing and making their statement of intent. We have the likes of the Gambia at the tournament. We also uh, have the likes of Mauritania at the tournament. Namibia also coming back to, to the big stage. Expect them to have something to say in these games. Uh, do not make no mistake. These teams are capable of upsetting uh, so-called big and traditional teams. So the stage is, is set. And in my opinion, I think that uh, Africa should be ready to to not see any small game at this stage because the Africa Cup of Nations will uh, produce sparks and sparks may come from the so-called minnows. So we are very excited 
to see uh, the Africa Cup of Nations take center stage this month uh, all the way to February. And so we are looking forward to Minos uh, presenting their case against the big giants. Um, going forward, Mino, I, I, I would not be shocked if a so-called Mino gets a semi-final place because they have so much to prove. And uh, let's wait and see. But what is certain and what is very assuring is that this Africa Cup of Nations will be exciting as all the teams will be looking forward to the coveted AFCON trophy. That's Zambian football analyst Mike Mubanga. And he spoke with Iron Mike Mbonye on the telephone from Lusaka, Zambia. I'm Sonny Young, coming to you from Studio 22 at our Voice of America headquarters in Washington, D.C. And you're listening to the sunny side of sports. Pro basketball, the Oklahoma City Thunder defeated the NBA-leading Boston Celtics Tuesday night, 127-123. to The AP's Denny Cap reports. A. Gilgis Alexander drains a game-high 36 to help the Thunder hang on and edge the Celtics 127-123. comes down to the end of the game, execution, um, and uh, winning plays. Um, we did enough of them tonight to get a W, um, but it's what you if what you want to accomplish. You have to go through that. You have to learn from it. You have to go through it. You have to make mistakes. Um, and yeah, those moments are, are what you live for. Leading by 18 with six and a half minutes to go, the Thunder saw their lead cut to two in the final minute, but a pair of Gilgis Alexander free throws sealed the deal to help Oklahoma City win its fifth straight and pulled within a game of the Western Conference leading Timberwolves. Thunder head coach Mark Dagnalt. I thought we were a little sloppy on both ends of the floor, trying to slam the door on that game, but then made big plays down the stretch. Jason Tatum had 30 points, 13 rebounds, and eight assists for the East leading Celtics, who saw their six-game winning streak come to an end. I'm Denny Cap. Thanks, Denny. Joining me now for some NBA analysis is my VOA colleague, Muck Bill Yabaro. Sporty greetings, Muck Bill. Sporty greetings, Sonny. Muck Bill, Shea Gilgis Alexander. I'm becoming more and more of a fan. Game high, 36 points on Tuesday night. I know we've talked about SGA, but uh, such a fun player to watch. Your thoughts? Absolutely, Sonny. The, the young man, 25 years old, is averaging 31.4 points per game. He is in third position for the most points scored per game in the season, only um, behind Luka Doncic and Joel Embiid. So that should tell you a lot. Those are two very high-volume, high-usage players. Um on top of that, he's also leading in the steals category, meaning that he is a two-way player, 6'6 six, six guard, 195, very agile, deceptively quick. Game is so smooth, he looks like he's moving slow, right? <laughs> 2. 6 point, uh, 2.6 steals per game, uh, and he is the leader of this OKC uh, team right now that is really, really rolling, uh, playing the Boston Celtics the number one seed in the Eastern Conference and really kind of having their way with them. The Thunder definitely rolling, Muck Bill. Uh, checking the stats, they've won eight of their past nine games. During that stretch, the Thunder has beaten defending champion Denver twice, ended the Los Angeles Clippers win streak at nine. They beat Western Conference leader Minnesota, and now they've topped the Celtics. Celtics big man Kristaps Porzingis, he had 34 points for the Celtics, and uh, he praised the Thunder after the game, Muckbill, saying uh, 
they're such a young, talented team. And I know we were talking before we came in the studio, but I think the Thunder is one team I don't want to play come the playoffs. Sonny, the thing about the Thunder that's so interesting is that when you really look at them, they have a plethora of players, uh, very young talent that can kind of do it all. You know, you have a player like Chet Holmgren who's putting up four, who put up 14 points, seven assists, four blocks yesterday. Doesn't really get a lot of touches, but is very efficient, you know. And the list goes on. This team has so many players that are not only playing offense really well, but are playing defense. They play collective team defense. Uh, so I'm really excited to see uh, what this OKC Thunder team do uh, moving into the later parts of the season. At the moment, they are in the... Believe they second are, place in they, the West. They, they're in the second spot, only behind the Minnesota Timberwolves. So this is a very different look for uh for the Western Conference. If we look to see the top five teams, I would even say the top six teams are not teams that you really would expect to mm. be where they are. Timberwolves, Thunder, the Nuggets are the only team that you expect to be in that top four, five seed, you know, top four position. You got the Clippers, who everybody was writing off. That's right. Um, when James Harden went over there on that trade, but they've been able to put together uh, quite a few uh, wins. They're basically right now in the last ten. They're eight and two. They're on a three-game win streak right now. The Kings look really good as well, and the Pelicans kind of wrap up that top six. So this is a very unexpected collective of teams at that top outside of that Nuggets team. Obviously, the Clippers have four. I wouldn't even say potential Hall of Famers. I think those are four Hall of Famers mm. um, figuring out how they're going to work together, uh, led by Ty Lue on that team. Big win for the Thunder in Oklahoma City, Muckbill. Let's go to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where the Cameroonian star, Joel Embiid, the reigning MVP in the NBA, he has a big game for the 76ers. He had been sidelined for four games Tell our sunny side of sports listeners what MB did last night, Muck Bill. First and foremost, let's just start off with the 76ers being in the third place in the Eastern Conference, 23 and 10. Um, they are three games behind the Celtics at the moment. You know, MB coming off uh, missing four games, um, and he comes back and plays like this, plus minus. Let's start off there was plus 32 for Embiid. Mm. Every time he's on the court, on average, his team is up by 32. That's, <laughs> in, that's just insane. If you really just think about that plus minus, it's pretty crazy. Um, but, yeah, let's let's look at his numbers. Embiid had 31 points, 15 rebounds, 10 assists, and two blocks. Um, leading the team, team high with 31. Uh, you also have Tyrese Maxey with 21 points, five assists, as well as uh, Tobias Harris with another 20 points, eight rebounds. Kelly Oubre, solid 16 points, three assists, three rebounds, and three steals, kind of doing it all. Um, and, you know, they brought him on for that very reason. But to be honest with you, I, I really like the fact that that, you know, Clippers-Sixers um, trade is working out well for both parties. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Uh, after trading uh, James Harden West to the Clippers, uh, 
Clippers sailing along now, and, and Philadelphia doing the same. looks really good. Uh, I'll get the quick score of that game. The 76ers beat the Chicago Bulls 110-97. to Another team making some noise now, Muck Bill. Getting back Ja Morant, the Memphis Grizzlies. They defeated the San Antonio Spurs on Tuesday night, 106-98. to Ja Morant, 26 points. Five rebounds, ten assists. What has he meant to the Grizzlies now that he's back in the lineup, Muck Bill? I would say that John Moran has shown us that this team is his team and they go as he goes. Um, they have quality players. We've known this uh, for a really long time. But missing your leader on the floor kind of deflates certain players and doesn't allow them to be able to play to their level. Um, if we just look at yesterday's game, John Morant had 26 points, 10 assists, 5 rebounds. Um, and then you have a man like Desmond Bain puts up 24 points as well. So we know Desmond Bain has been a solid go-to scorer for the Memphis Grizzlies. But what we saw from that first part of the season where he was, uh, where um, Ja was unable to play due to that early suspension is that Desmond Bain is a great option too. Mm. You know, unfortunately, option one, you know, it what what it does is, and we've seen this happen, Sonny, uh, plenty of times. Jordan Poole, I think, is another example, right? Where when you're option one, all the film is about you. You know, so teams and coaching staff will be able to, you know, pick and prod and look specifically into what makes your game go and how to stop you. But when you have the luxury of playing with a player like Ja, he takes so much away from you, but he gives it back to you in the opportunities that you get as an offensive player to be able to get one-on-one advantages, not getting doubled because everybody's so con- so much so concentrating on him. Um, so yeah, I'm sure not only Desmond, uh, but Jerry Jackson Jr. looks like a completely different player mm. in the last couple of games that Ja's been back really looking like he's back to that all-star form, uh, playing well. Yesterday wasn't as impressive as the last couple of games, but nonetheless, um, yeah, the team is rolling. Muckbill, we have to continue the Wemby watch here on the sunny side of sports. Victor Wembenyama, the French phenom for San Antonio, he had 20 points on Tuesday night, seven rebounds, and that was while he was on the court for only 26 minutes for San Antonio. Uh from my perspective, Muck Bill, it's Wemby or Chet Holmgren for Rookie of the Year. Your thoughts? I, I would definitely agree. Um, I think the narrative push will be to to kind of give the edge to Wemby. Wemby has the keys to San Antonio at the moment. Um, you know, he's getting, you know, their stats look relatively similar, but I would say that uh, Chet is just more efficient than him at the moment because he's playing alongside SGA, is not getting anywhere near the amount of touches. And if he's able to get close in numbers to uh, to Wemby, I think a co-split you know, split MVP would not be bad as uh, as Chet is a red-shirted MV, uh, rookie as well this year. And that ha- that's yeah. happened before, it's, it, right? It's, it's happened in the past. I, I remember also that it was supposed to happen with, uh, with Carmelo and, and, uh, and LeBron, but I think uh, Carmelo had an incident one game where he went off on the refs, got double teed up, and they decided 
we don't want to leave the, the league <laughs> in Melo's hands if, if he's going to be acting like this in his first year. So, But realistically speaking, they should have split that uh, that year. But it's happened in the past as well. Out west in San Francisco, the Golden State Warriors defeated the Orlando Magic 121-115, to matching Shea Gilgis-Alexander for the Knights' high score in the NBA was Steph Curry, 36 points. And the Warriors won uh, once again, Muckbill, without Draymond Green. He remains on suspension. Uh, what does Green's uh, absence right now, Muckbill, uh, mean to the Warriors? I think uh, Green's role, um, just from a historical standpoint on this championship uh, Golden State Warriors team, has been somewhat of an enforcer role, uh, kind of making sure that other teams don't think that the the Warriors are a pushover team, uh, asserting dominance and physicality uh, on his opponents across the board. But he also is like a stretch. He could play the stretch four, the stretch five. He is an undersized big, but he has been able to play in that big role um, when they play that small ball death lineup that they like to just outpace and outrun guys. He can shoot the corner three. He's relatively good on defense. His IQ, he's a very high IQ player. Mm. Sometimes the mistakes, or I wouldn't say the mistakes, but what he does um, when he does end up getting these suspensions and stuff and people look at him as a dirty player, uh, sometimes I don't think people understand that majority of the time it's very calculated and thought out. Uh, He does these things intentionally so that teams and players understand and go into it with this psychological, it's like psychological warfare really uh, from his standpoint, making sure that, you're not only worried about Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, but you're worried about Draymond and other players to be able to physically kind of beat you up at times uh, to put you off your game. So I think they're definitely missing that uh, component. But on the flip side, you got a guy like uh, Kaminga who's really he's a bona fide baller, man. Congolese. Congolese star, man. He's star in the making. I think if this team didn't have a Steph Curry or a Klay Thompson that were so ball dominant – um, Kaminga would have his coming out party uh, this year. He, he's really killing it. Muckbill, a player we don't talk about a lot on the sunny side of sports for Orlando, Paolo Benchero, one of the up-and-coming uh, young stars in the NBA, uh, almost a triple-double last night. Uh, talk about Paolo. Banchero is a beast, man. Um, anyone who knows, who can just look at you know what he does on the, cor- on the court, uh, you just see such an such a physical being, right? About six eight, six nine. Um, guard has a good handle. Can really do it all. There's a reason why he's a lottery pick for Orlando. And realistically speaking, he's one of the main reasons why Orlando is is where they are. They had a bit of a hotter start um, in, in the start of the season, but at the moment, still tied for fourth. Tied for fourth with the Heat uh, in the Eastern Conference. They got nineteen and fourteen. Um, not that far off, about six or seven games up from the top, um, still with a lot of um, a lot of game to be played. But, you know, they did lose their last two. If they got those two wins, they'd probably be sitting up a little bit higher at the moment. Um, yeah, but I, I really like Banchero. Uh, that team is it's a solid team. Jalen Suggs is putting up some decent numbers for them as well. Um, Wagner put up 25. So th- this is a team that, you know, really has a lot of potential, a lot of young guys, um, and they've been building for some time now. Um, and I feel like it's starting to come. Uh, we're starting to see 
um, what they planted a couple of seasons ago. And Muckbill, we talked about Wemby and uh, uh, Chet Holmgren being the, the leading contenders for Rookie of the Year. Well, the reigning Rookie of the Year is Paolo Banchero, so he's definitely a player to watch in the NBA. Uh, we got about a minute left in the show, Muckbill. Let's pivot quickly to the Men's Basketball Africa League, proudly sponsored by the NBA and the International Basketball Federation FIBA. Uh, the BAL will tip off its fourth season in March in South Africa. And ahead of the tip-off, Muckbill, uh, NBA Africa recently announced uh, the appointment of a top Rwandan official. Uh, can you tell our listeners about that? Claire Akamanzi is, a, is an accomplished business executive and international trade and investment lawyer and is now the CEO of NBA Africa. Huge move mm. uh, showcasing uh, what it means for women, African women on the continent to get involved in sports across the board. But for her to be the CEO of NBA Africa means that the NBA understands that for the game to move forward, the women have to be put into high-level positions so that the game can trickle down. So, you know, you got NBA Africa out there working on initiatives for BAL and BAL Her. Um, so this is a great way to make sure that, hey, the top, at the, from the very top, we have a woman that is more than capable uh, to get the job done for the guy side, but also will keep in mind for the development of the women's game across the continent as well. And Muppel, on that note, I'm going to cue Keela for the closing theme. There we go. And that wraps up the January 3rd edition of the show. Thanks to producer and sunny side of sports analyst, the Ivory Coast-bound Muckbill Yabaro. We look forward to Muckbill's reports from Ivory Coast. Thanks also to VOA engineer Keela Williams. And thank you for tuning in. I'm VOA Sonny Young in Washington, and that's the sunny side of sports.